leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me I've got a very special guest. He's a writer at the 94. He also hosts the 94 Morning Shootaround every Friday. He's a graduate of the Sports Business Classroom, and he's also a third-time guest on this program his name is Scott Levine. Scott, thanks so much for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett, and thank you for not mentioning that I am also a Celtics fan. <laughs> well, we were going to get to that. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, that is the uh, the topic of this episode. We're going to be talking all Boston Celtics, and of course, they. Uh, we are recording this on uh, on a Tuesday night, uh, almost immediately after their drubbing they just took to the Toronto Raptors, losing one eighteen to ninety five. So, Scott, I guess the first question to ask is, is it time to panic? It's not time to panic. It's more time to just be fed up with the Celtics' inconsistency and just kind of hope they get this together in the next month or so. But I do think that they should, you know, at least have a good chance against getting to the second round against any of like the teams that aren't Toronto or Milwaukee. So I don't know if it's time to panic, but... I definitely am getting a little dejected about how the season has been going. Yeah, you know, talking more about this game, you know, the the couple of things that really stood out is one, they don't seem to have anybody defensively that can cause Kawhi any issues. It seemed like he could get wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And uh, the other big issue is, you know, the uh, the Raptors' defense seemed to really suffocate uh, the Celtics, especially that second unit. In the second quarter, the lineup of Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, Patrick McCall, O.G. Ananobi, and Marcus Gasol went on a 16-0 run, in, and in large part fueled by just suffocating defense. I only, I really think that Kyrie is kind of the, um, 
kind of is the person they don't have an answer for. So obviously he's been really a big reason for the offense looking okay when it does look okay. And this is especially exacerbated against the Raptors. Something I noticed in the beginning of the game and throughout the game was Tatum seems to always have a rough game against Toronto. And I think it's because they do a really good job containing length. So guys like Jalen Brown, Hayward, any marginal advantage they had as kind of big wing creators is neutralized by Toronto having so many nice big wing defenders, Kawhi, Danny Green, Siakam. And the really the guy who gives them fits time after time is um, Kyrie Irving just because he can get into the kind of the teeth and tight spots of the defense. He can get Ibaka onto switches. And they don't really have an answer for him when he's clicking. And I think that's why the Celtics looked good until he sat down in the second quarter. Well, yeah, and, you know, the when, when Kyrie does sit, a lot of the Celtics offense kind of is, is, is typically like mismatch basketball. You know, find the, find the mismatch and, and use the likes of Jalen Brown or Gordon Hayward or Jason Tatum to attack smaller defenders. You know, when, when the Celtics play Philly and the Celtics have played Philly really well, they, they really attack J.J. Redick and really make him pay on that end of the floor. But with Toronto, you know, they, uh, e- you know even though Kyle Lowry is, is a diminutive player, he is, uh, is super strong and, and a really solid defender. So, you know, the, the, the Celtics don't really have anywhere to attack. And, it, and it's kind of the same with Milwaukee as well, with, with the Bucks having a, a stout point guard defender in, uh, in Bledsoe. Yeah, it really does shed light on why I think the series against Milwaukee was tougher for the Celtics than the series versus Philadelphia, just because of the matchup purposes. I'm talking last year. And even then, you know, their defense isn't anything like it is now. But you had those big bodies. You had Giannis. You had Middleton. Um, they had to, like, find out. They had to find smaller guys like Tony Snell um, to, you know, do that isolation on. And now that. You know, Sterling Brown has emerged. DJ Wilson's giving them minutes. They have Miritich. Uh, There's less opportunities to, you know, seek out a weak defender on Milwaukee and do what they did in last year's playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, the the, the big thing with with Boston as well is is the three-point shooting. You know, they, they take a lot of three-point shots, have a lot of guys spreading the floor, you know, one through five. And when, when the three-point shot doesn't go down, it can... It can look kind of ugly, and uh, one of the things I, I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, you know, they they moved Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris into the starting lineup uh, pretty early on in the season when the team was struggling, and it, it, it seemed like they uh, they figured things out, and, and adding that toughness to that starting lineup really, uh, you know, righted the ship, but uh, I, I almost think they should maybe make another alteration to that lineup and maybe get a guy like Jalen Brown or Hayward back into that starting lineup. What are your thoughts on that? So uh, I want to give a shout-out to Celtics blog and step-back writer uh, Max Carlin. I don't know if you've uh, seen him on Twitter, but he's definitely kind of one of the people leading the anti-Terry Rozier brigade. And (laughs) I think one of the most obvious solutions to that is to put Marcus Smart in as you know, the full-time backup point guard. We've seen it in, in spurts last year when Terry was uh, promoted to the starting lineup uh, with the absence of Kyrie Irving. And I think it would work a lot better than what's currently going on right now. And, yeah, I think it would be either Jalen or Hayward. Probably Jalen, just because Hayward, I think, um, 
can benefit from having more creation opportunities with the second unit. But yeah, you'd put in Jalen Brown, you'd have Marcus Smart playing point guard, and that's probably better than what they currently have now, where Terry Rozier is running the point. I'm fine with Marcus Smart as a starter. I just think that the biggest thing here is trying to limit the impact of Rozier. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I I like that, and you know, Smart allows them to to really have great size with him as the backup point guard to to switch everything uh, when when he's out on the floor. And I think yeah, I would probably go with Jalen Brown as the starter because he he gives the offense a little bit more speed and and transition capability, and uh, you know, it also keeps Hayward in that position where I think you know his playmaking, his passing is pretty crucial to that second unit. Yeah, definitely, and you've seen him really uh, come into his own in games in which Kyrie Irving was injured. I think ultimately they can figure it out, but in the meantime, it kind of makes more sense to have him you know, be able to feel a little bit more liberty to put the ball on the floor and create for others as he still tries to figure out his role in late February on the 2018-2019 Boston Celtics. Yeah, uh, you know, speaking uh, uh, to Gordon Hayward, you know, there's there's obviously been a lot of talk with him, and uh, you know, he's coming off this this horrible injury, and he had a couple of setbacks in his rehabilitation process, where he had to have a, a second surgery, which put him back, and uh, you know, the, the he certainly struggled early on in the season, and he, he's he's still nowhere near the Gordon Hayward that we saw. In Utah, but but I did have uh, some some interesting stats just looking at his monthly numbers from the start of the season uh, and now you know his his numbers in October he was averaging just over ten points a game shooting just over forty percent from the field uh, around thirty six percent from three only getting to the line one point seven times a game only one point seven assists a ten point five per which is well below the league average. And uh, the Celtics' offensive rating was 91.3. But uh, to, to just show the, the improvement that he has had, uh, you know, his, his numbers in February, not including the game uh, here on, on Tuesday against Toronto, but in February he's averaging over 13 a game, shooting 55% from the field, 50% from three. Uh, he's got his free throw attempts up to 26 averaging nearly four assists, and his PR is at 19.5, and the Celtics' offensive rating with him on the floor is, you know, almost 129. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Hayward and his struggles this year, but, but you know, month over month, I think he's consistently gotten a little bit better, and as a bench guy, I think, especially if he continues to make, uh, you know, small incremental progress up until, you know, the uh, April and May, I think he's going to be a solid contributor for this team. Yeah, I'm really glad you pointed out those stats because I do think that there has been some improvement even though you kind of have seen him wither away, so to speak, when you know we're on national TV playing against a potential like Eastern Conference Finals opponent. He really gave us nothing in the Milwaukee game, if you remember. And then tonight, obviously, no one other than Kyrie in the beginning of the game um, had much of a positive impact for the Celtics. So I think that a lot of his, you know, flaws are more magnified. Maybe that's indicative that he's, you know, not quite ready to play against these matchups. But it also could just be, you know, having a few bad games at inopportune times because we have seen him play at a high level in February in flashes. 
Yeah, you know the that's that's the thing when you're when you're going up against the likes of Milwaukee and Toronto and, and even Philly. You know, you're talking about teams that are in the in the top half of the NBA defensively, and uh, you know th- those are the really really the ones where you can get a barometer of where a guy's at. And he's certainly not there. He, he's not ready to to carry any sort of a load yet. But again, he uh, he still may continue to improve uh, as we as we head towards the playoffs. Another guy, again, we've already talked about him a little bit here that has struggled, I think, in, in these big games is Marcus Smart. You know, his, his shooting has been well talked about. He's, he's up to around 35% from three this season, which is a, a market improvement upon previous years. But his shooting in these big games has, uh, has, has, has really been poor. You know, I, I actually went back and, and looked at his three-point numbers against the top four teams in the East and the top three teams in the West, you know, some of the, some of the best teams in the NBA. And, uh, you know, including, including tonight's game, he's 15 of 62 on the season, which is just around 23%. Uh, so, you know, despite the fact that he, he's making more, it seems to be that he's, he's knocking down more shots against weaker defenses. Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know. Um, so a team like Toronto... They don't have to concede a wide-open Marcus Smart three-point shot. You know, we've already talked about how they cover so much ground. They really are able to neutralize Boston's length. So they really don't need to, like, you know, send another defender, Jason Tatum. I think Kawhi and Siakam is more than capable of guarding him one-on-one. So that definitely for Toronto makes sense. Uh, Milwaukee, again, a lot of uh, nice switchy wing defenders. So I'm not surprised by that stat. I will say... This I'm going to sound like a Marcus Smart cliche because I'm going to talk about you know the stats that don't show up in the box sheet, but uh, I do think that there was one moment when we were down by 20 in the third quarter and he, I remember Marcus Morris missed an inside shot. Marcus Smart got the offensive rebound, kicked it back to Marcus Morris, and then Marcus Morris missed again from three. Smart. Uh, didn't get the offensive rebound again. Danny Green got it, but then Marcus Smart ripped him from behind and then passed to Morris for the easy layup under the hoop. So I've always felt like he, you know, Celtics kind of have a lot of guys who seem to, like, uh, I don't want to say mope, but, like, have this kind of forlorn energy about them when things start to not go their way. Maybe that's just my projection onto them as a fan, but I think you can agree that this is a team that kind of lets, lets – uh, negativity ruminate at times so i think that smart plays an important role is just like being kind of unflappable on the court being someone who can get them back in the game can energize them you saw that a little bit last year when he missed the first four games of the milwaukee series it was tied 2-2 he came back in game five and i thought played a really crucial role uh and helped the celtics win in seven so you know i kind of uh see smart as a positive no matter how he shoots, and have always, but it's definitely something to watch that maybe they, that this is a little bit of empty calories and uh, getting open looks against teams unequipped to defend the Celtics. Well, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you that he that he is still a positive. You know, he's a he's a terrific defensive player, and yes, he makes some of those hustle plays, those uh, you know those plays that really inspire uh, you know your teammates. And, uh, you know, he uh, offensively, despite the fact that he doesn't shoot the three ball well, you know, he's a willing shooter, which I think is, is a positive. And uh, he also, you know, ha- has a versatile offensive game that I don't think a lot of people give him credit for. You know, he can post up, he can run a pick and roll, he can, he can do a little bit of everything out there on the floor. 
And I think that's why also starting him more at backup point guard, starting him more at backup, <laughs> having him play more backup point guard would also be beneficial because, you know, like you said, he does have a few on-ball skills that I think go largely untapped this year. Um, he's mostly used as a spot-up threat, and so, which is kind of funny to use Marcus Smart as a spot-up threat. So again, <laughs> it would kind of improve spacing to have him on the ball instead of off the ball, and you'd be able to see his skills on display there. It can't be worse than our current backup point guard situation. Yeah, and you know the the whole the whole thing about his his off ball shooting, you 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 nailed it right on the head there. That the idea that if he's if he's backup point guard, he he doesn't have to be spotting up as much. And you know if he's if he's not in the starting lineup, you know his minutes are going to come down. And I think uh, you know I, I think he can still give you the same sort of positive impact with his hustle and defense in 24 minutes that he would as a starter in you know 32 to 34. Yeah, and I, and even and if you want to get it up to like 30 minutes, I'm fine. You know, playing him alongside Kyrie just because it seems like no matter who plays alongside Kyrie, it works out. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think there is a better way to utilize him than having him play off ball next to Terry Rozier uh, in the second unit. Now, what's been your thoughts on uh, on the the Celtics' young wings? Of course, uh, Jason Tatum entering uh, his his he's in his second year this season, and Jalen Brown in his third season. And both of them seem to uh, struggle a bit at the start. You know, with Tatum, there was a lot of talk about he's he's settling for, for too many mid-range jumpers, not attacking the basket. And with Jalen Brown, you know, he really struggled with his three-point shot uh, after shooting the ball pretty well from three in his first couple of seasons. What has been your thoughts on, on them and uh, their struggles this season? Yeah, so I think that they kind of, in the beginning of the season, represented... Um, my frustrations with the team, along with Rozier, just because they had a tr- they had trouble finding out the difference between shots that they should take and shots that they can take. Obviously, we saw what they can do last year at the playoffs, and this is not like a new narrative. This has been harped on. They had you know feature roles on the Celtics' offense when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and how are they going to adjust with Kyrie and Hayward back? So I'm not really added, adding much to the table with that take, but. I still think it's been a little bit of an adjustment for them. I, I think that both of them kind of see themselves as future like offensive cornerstones, and especially in Tatum's case, you know that's pretty founded. So I do think that Brad Stevens has a history of letting guys you know play to the full uh, capacity of their skill set. You know, you kind of saw that in a little bit with Evan Turner. Um, you know, taking on that backup point guard role when he was here. Isaiah Thomas obviously was able to do, you know, whatever he wanted in the time he was in Boston. So I think that this has been the first year that Stevens actually has, like, a surplus of offensive creation. And it's been kind of a struggle to, you know, get some of the younger guys especially to be like, oh, wait, you shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't take that off the dribble too because we can get a better shot even though, this is something you have done, and we know you can do, and you know you can do. So it's been very interesting. You know, Tatum and Brown have both kind of acquiesced to playing a smaller role. I mean, how could you not when watching Kyrie's brilliance? But there is still some of that lingering, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, there's there's been a lot of talk, especially in recent weeks, about the Celtics' chemistry issues. You know, and, and again, I think the starting lineup has... has uh, has continued to be a storyline, but, you know, Kyrie Irving has made a few comments over recent weeks. I think one was saying that, uh, you know, we, we've got guys that think they're capable of doing more, and, 
you know, I don't think he was necessarily saying that as like, uh, you know, they're they're wrong in that, but just that maybe they're uh, that they're they're doing more than they should. And, and a lot of people were were thinking that that was him kind of putting down his teammates. What are your thoughts on? Do you think this chemistry stuff is real, or do you think it's just more of we they they have so much depth and so many players that are capable of so many things? It's hard to kind of figure out that balance. Yeah, I think it kind of vacillates between how I feel now, where I just feel like this team can combust at any moment, to um, just something that we're supposed to think is a concern, but it doesn't really. Um, there's no real evidence of it sometimes, you know, when they're having a good game, when they're winning basketball games, you just don't really see it borne out on the floor. So I think that it's something where this team can go into funks, but otherwise things are pretty okay. Maybe there's some stuff under the surface that I don't see. I, for, for, for more often than not, I think things are usually okay, and I'm just supposed to act like there's some chemistry issue that I can't, you know, observe on the floor. Well, yeah, that's 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 the hard thing is because if things are okay, this this whole like inconsistency that this team has has suffered from is 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 really confusing, and so it is oftentimes easier to just say, well, yeah, there's there's some issues in the locker room, but you know the the, the game this this past Saturday against Chicago, they get blown out by the Bulls. I think they got outscored by twenty in the second quarter to Chicago, and then of course uh, here on Tuesday night, getting blown out by Toronto. And then, you know, last Thursday, having a pretty impressive performance despite the defeat to Milwaukee where they were right in that ball game. Uh, you know, it's, it's and, and you know, prior to, prior to this loss to Toronto, for the most part this season, I think the Celtics have played pretty well against, you know, some of the upper echelon teams in the NBA, but have struggled at times against weaker competition. Yeah, and I think that um, they really get up for these upper echelon teams, and maybe in the past... The upper echelon teams didn't really, you know, everything had been going well for Toronto and Milwaukee, so they didn't, like, see this as an opportunity to right the ship the way the Celtics did. So I think in the past, when they were beating Milwaukee and Toronto, despite struggling earlier in the season, it just meant a little bit more to them. Maybe we're at the point where, you know, Toronto and Milwaukee are just kind of being tired of getting beat by the Celtics and are kind of firing back. It definitely seemed like Toronto wanted this win. Uh, They kind of just had their foot on the gas pedal the entire time. Um, which, you know, you don't always see from them. Maybe the infusion of Jeremy Lin and Mark Gasol has kind of helped their bench consistency. That's been a thing, kind of like the Celtics, where they, you know, have get out to a lead with Kyle Lowry and uh, Kawhi Leonard only to maybe surrender it. Fred Van Vliet's been uh, not as good this season. You know, Norman Powell's been up and down. So maybe their bench depth has helped them uh, steal it over the Celtics this time, but they definitely look like they wanted it more than previous matchups. Now, uh, to to speak on that uh, that Milwaukee game from this past Thursday night, you know the Celtics, I believe, ended up losing that one by by just one, and uh, it was it was a pretty tight game throughout. But but Kyrie Irving struggled mightily in that first half, and I think Milwaukee was uh, was up seven at halftime. Uh, but uh, what were your thoughts on that game and that matchup in general between the Celtics and Bucks? Uh, you know, of course, these two teams are. Uh, are, are, are starting a bit of a rivalry here with that uh, that really uh, tight seven-game series last year in the first round. Yeah, especially after that first half, I think that I might be in the minority here, but I think that Chris Middleton is like on the short list of most feared players by Celtics fans just because he shot like 60% during the beginning from three of that last year's playoff series against us, and he had 
you know, 12 points in the first half, all, you know, made a couple threes, kind of went quiet in the second half, but then had that go-ahead three that ended up being the difference. So I just am kind of afraid of Chris Middleton. I'm kind of at the point where I'd rather face any Eastern Conference team than than five Chris Middletons out on the floor together. Um, So that that was kind of my thoughts on that game. Um, You saw a little bit of involvement from Miritich. Giannis is going to be a problem. You kind of expect that. I think that's why Middleton seems more scary, just because when he you know goes off, it's a little more surprising. Whereas you kind of just see Giannis going off as a given. Uh, I thought Eric Bledsoe. It's kind of funny that there was like an Eric Bledsoe Terry Rozier duel last year. That's kind of hard to imagine considering uh, the gulf in them now this season. Eric Bledsoe's improved. Rozier has taken a step back. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I think that you know. The Horford-Lopez matchup will stay a strong suit for Celtics. We kind of saw that a little bit in the first quarter when Celtics' offense was clicking. Horford was making shots, um, mid-range shots, deep shots over Ibaka. Uh, so Ibaka's another guy who can kind of be exposed through the Celtics' pick-and-pop with Kyrie. And it's kind of weird because Horford kind of seemed to lose steam almost. Did you, did you feel like he was a little slow, especially defensively this game? Yeah, for the first half of the season, I thought he, he just looked slow in general, and he's right. he's picked it up in his last 10. He's actually played pretty good basketball, averaging around 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, you know, over a steal and a block per game, and shooting around 40% from 3. But, uh, you know, there there are times, and, and I thought especially against Ibaka versus the Raptors, uh, you know, I, I think that's just one of those where, you know, Horford as a as a stretch five, a mobile five, has an advantage in most matchups, but against Ibaka, that is, uh, that is pretty much negated. Yeah, I think that's true to a certain extent. I do think that Serge Ibaka is kind of, um, I think that his reputation as like a, a defender in space and a switch defender um, is hasn't really been true since around like the OKC era. Uh, I still feel like he has a really tough time. I mean, maybe maybe that's true for most cases. Maybe he can do an okay job shutting down Horford when engaged. But I think just Kyrie just has Ibaka's number. You know, when Kyrie gets downhill, like Ibaka has no chance against him. And maybe it's that maybe Ibaka's pretty mobile, but I think that his anticipation really is lacking sometimes, and that makes him look even slower than he might already be. So. He's actually somebody who I see on a similar tier as Brooke Lopez in terms of foot speed, maybe a little bit quicker, just because Lopez seems like he has cinder blocks attached to his feet sometimes. But I don't think that that's a... um, I think that Raptors might very well just be featuring Siakam at center come playoff time. Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, I still think Ibaka is significantly quicker than Lopez, but... Yeah. But... uh, you know, Ibaka was, you know, in in his prime with Oklahoma City, he was he was pretty quick and mobile for a power forward, and and certainly he does not have that quickness anymore. He's, I still think he's relatively mobile for a five at this point, and and that's why you know there there was the big question mark when they when they got Gasol over the fact that oh hopefully they're not going to start playing Ibaka at the four, and and fortunately Nick Nurse and the Raptors have have stuck to him as as the starting center in most cases. Uh, so, so I think that's been that's been positive because I think Ibaka is having one of his best years in the last couple due to the fact that he's mostly playing the five. But um, 
Yeah, uh, you know, last week when I had uh, Simon Sharon Gordon on, we we talked about the top of the East, and and one of the one of the teams that I thought uh, Boston had the edge on was was Milwaukee, uh, in, in large part because I do think you know Milwaukee's defense is is largely predicated on on stopping. Uh, shots at the rim and the Celtics don't really rely on attacking the basket too much outside of Irving and and you could see that Irving and Horford with that pick and pop game could really get uh, they they could really get Horford a, a wide open three at the top of the key really whenever they wanted yeah and I talked about how we might see more Siakam at the five the matchup adjustment I'd like to see from the Bucks obviously is Giannis at the five we talked about that last time I came on when we were kind of talking about how to project Giannis into the playoffs despite, you know, leaving a little bit to be desired last season. Obviously, amidst a worse offensive and defensive scheme under Jason, oh, Joe Prunty, actually, at the time. And I think that that could be something that gives the Celtics not trouble, but could prevent them from giving the Bucks trouble, um, just because I can see Giannis kind of neutralizing that pick-and-pop threat fairly well. It'll be up to Al Horford to kind of uh, kill him on the boards, and I don't really know if you can again expect that out of Al. Uh, after what we've seen this season, he doesn't have that same kind of athletic pop that we saw in last year's playoffs, but we talked about him being slow tonight. There's been moments where he looks really fiery and engaged, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see to see if he ramps it up during the playoffs. Well, you mentioned the, the, the Bucks' ability to maybe go with Giannis at the five, and a big reason they can do that is because of that Miritich signing. He gives them some more depth at the four, and, and that's the thing a lot of people don't think about is, you know, sure, putting Giannis at the five is, uh, is a smart move, but you have to have players uh, that, that can play at the position that he's leaving. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the things that I've noticed with the Houston Rockets, you know, without the likes of Trevor Ariza and Luke Richard and Bahamute, they haven't been able to go with P.J. Tucker at the five because they don't have enough replacement level players at the four. Although uh, Kenneth Fareed maybe, uh, maybe is that option now after that Warriors game. P.J. Tucker's playing the five, then who's really playing the four and who's really playing the five? Yeah, that's true. But one of the things that I think is interesting now and maybe is is a little bit of a disadvantage for the Celtics is you mentioned uh, the Bucks can go big with Lopez at the five and Giannis at the four, or they can go kind of small with Giannis at the five. And, and of course you mentioned with the Raptors, the Raptors can go with like, uh, Gasol and, and uh, Ibaka front line, or they can go small and put Siakam at the five. Whereas the Celtics don't feel like, it doesn't feel like they have as much flexibility in terms of being able to go big and small. It, it almost seems like, you know, every, Every great lineup the Celtics has just has Horford at the five. Yeah, and the kind of uh, caveat to that is that Horford can be used in a multitude of looks. You know, he can be that kind of uh, banger down low if they go Giannis at the five or like Pascal Siakam at the five, um, and, or he can be that spacing threat if they go with a small with a bigger look at the five. So that is kind of one saving grace the Celtics have. Something also is you know we talked about Lopez at the five and Giannis at the five. Miritich at the five could also be very interesting just because I thought he did surprisingly well kind of keeping use of Nurkic off the boards in that Portland series. And, you know, if he can, you know, get back to where he was that season physically, then I think that that can kind of be how they go small and defend in space and have a lot of shooting around Giannis while also still being able to keep Horford off the glass. Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, I, I talked on last week's episode. I have Toronto right now as my favorite in the East with Milwaukee a close second 
and Boston a close third with with Philadelphia fourth. How do you rank the uh, the top four teams in the East currently? And so you said Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia. Yes. That that's that's mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, easy enough there. Um, so uh, another thing I wanted to uh, to to discuss is you know now with this loss. The Celtics have have moved two games behind Philadelphia for the four spot, and they're a full three games in the lost column back of the Pacers in that three spot. It's getting more and more likely that the Celtics are going to be the five seed in the Eastern Conference, barring a, a really good run down the stretch and or a collapse from the Pacers. When you're the five seed, you're talking about having to win three consecutive road series to get to the NBA Finals, and, and that is a very tough task. And you'd basically be playing, no offense to the Nets, Pistons, Hornets, Heat, whomever makes it in the 6 7 eight spot. I actually really am a fan of the Nets this year. They've kind of been my emotional outlet for like a, being able to watch a fun team because I get both the Celtics and Nets, um, you know, local feed on cable over here in New England. And um, that really is not as hard of a series you know you think about going into playing Toronto or Milwaukee after just coming off a series versus Philly that sounds a lot harder than you know just having beaten Charlotte in five games uh, where you you know we're maybe only trying for two or three of those games so that raises concerns as well one question I have for you how how do you see this uh, shaking out for Indiana because you talked about how they could maybe you know slip a little bit they have been staying afloat despite Oladipo. What is your kind of read on this situation? So yeah, that you know the them losing Oladipo, I think, is more of a playoff problem than a regular season issue. And of course, the Pacers, I think, lost five straight after that Oladipo injury, and I think that was just more of a an emotional letdown that the team had. But but since then, they've been playing really good basketball. Their defense is solid, you know, and and that's gonna they're gonna bring their defense and effort every single night. And, and that's going to be good enough to beat a lot of the teams in the NBA. Uh, you know, they, they may struggle to score enough against the upper echelon teams. But, but again, you know, we're talking about we're, we're basically at the quarter of the season mark left. So it, it's hard to make up ground when there's so few games left to play. The Pacers almost remind me of like a frisky Orlando Magic team back in the day. Um, I guess that's kind of funny because the former... Pacers coach Frank Vogel also coached the Orlando Magic, but like this is just like a team, you know look at their lineup, you know Darren Collison, Corey Joseph Bogdanovich Thad Young, Miles Turner with, uh, you know, Sabonis in there and it's like, this is exactly like the type of frisky team that's going to defend hard despite not really having a surefire number one option and win a, win a bunch of games in March and April and luckily for them we're, we're a few days away from March and April so I think that I agree that they'll probably hold on to that third or at least fourth seed if either Boston or Philly goes on a run. Yeah, and, you know, I, I would definitely favor Boston. You know, if if it were a situation where Indiana falls to the four and Boston is at five, like, I would certainly favor Boston in that series. But, uh, you know, not only does it matter just winning and getting through but how much effort and energy you have to apply to get through each round, I, I don't think that would be an easy series for the Celtics. You know, again, because the Pacers are this this fit, physical, tough basketball team, that series, even if the Celtics win in, in five or six, it's going to be grueling and, and, and it's going to be, uh, you know, potentially costly in terms of the team's fatigue 
heading into a round two matchup, which, uh, again, if they're the five spot, they'd be going up against the Milwaukee Bucks. That Nets Pacers 3-6 series, that's going to be on NBA TV most games, right? Oh, oh, for sure. But you know what? I actually would, would uh, you know, I'd actually be pretty interested in that series, to yeah. be completely honest, because as you said, the Nets have been surprisingly fun to watch this year. And, you know, they, they haven't been healthy with the likes of Levert and, and uh, Dinwiddie both getting separate injuries. But when both of them are healthy and with D'Angelo Russell and, and the three-point champ Joe Harris, uh, you know they, they've got a solid young center in Jared Allen. You know that they, they've got some pieces there to uh, to make a series at least somewhat interesting. I even think I'm going to take it one step farther. I think they could beat the Pacers in the first round. Yeah, I, I, I believe they could too. I, I certainly wouldn't put them as the favorite, but but uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna I say it's like 35-65 or maybe like 40-60. But like every time I've been afraid to bet on the Nets for something, I've regretted it later because. They've just, it hasn't, it, like, I never thought they'd, you know, be a 500 team this year, even though I thought maybe it's possible. And I never thought they'd, like, continue to hold on even when Levert and Dinwiddie were out. And I was like, but, you know, this team is fun, and they have a lot of good players, so maybe it's possible. So, you know what? For once, I'm going to take a stand. Nets beat the Pacers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Okay, I like it. I like that call. Yeah, if uh, if I had to pick a, an upset, you know, it would definitely be that because this whoever is going to be the seven and eight seed in the East have zero chance against the likes of the Bucks and the Raptors. But <laughs> um, so so you know, what are your, what are your thoughts now? You you obviously seem seem pretty down on the Celtics for the most part. You you just ranked them third in terms of the Eastern Conference hierarchy. What uh, what are your thoughts in terms of do you still consider them title contenders or do you feel like that's a uh, that's that's a little bit too much at this point? I feel like you got it, and while I do rank them third, uh, I will say that I do think the Raptors and Bucks are the second and third best teams in the league order, however you want. I think the top three is Golden State at one, and then Raptors and Bucks. Um, I think that they're better than OKC. I think they're better than Denver. Um, I, I don't see either of those as a real threat to the Warriors' throne. I, I would maybe put the field in the Eastern Conference at like a 30% chance, maybe 25, which is about how I felt about the Houston Rockets last year. There hasn't been that kind of Rockets-level team this year to threaten the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. So I will say that while you know I have them third in the East, you could argue that they're still like in the, around the top five Maybe not quite. Maybe I'd put OKC in Denver before Celtics just because they've been a little disappointing. They're on pace for about 50 wins. They are less consistent. Um, but between like the Celtics and like the Jazz and the Rockets, like going a tier down, I think the Celtics have an edge on those teams. So maybe they're around like the fifth to seventh best team in the league. Interesting. So yeah, I. Uh... Um, despite the fact that you're the Celtics fan, I'm a little bit higher on Boston than it seems like you are. I, I have uh, literally the Warriors and then all of the top three teams in the East as two, three, and four. Uh, I still think the Celtics ceiling is higher than just about anybody else uh, in the Western Conference outside of Golden State. Although, again, the Houston Rockets surprised me a little bit with that win over the Warriors. And, and Chris Paul actually looked like uh, the Chris Paul that... Uh, 
that that we've uh, grown to to know and love. You know, when when the last time you were on here, we did our updated uh, player rankings, and and I had Chris Paul fall from number six to fifteen overall in the NBA. But after that performance, I'm I'd be happy to put him right back at six. Or, or at least uh, keep him at 15 as opposed to continuing to dock him because I think that uh, you and I both agreed that 15 was a good spot for him because there was a chance that you know once he fully recovers from injury uh, that he would look more like the Chris Paul of old and I think that's kind of, we're kind of proven right for that um, and I probably would have the Celtics ranked higher than like the Thunder and the Nuggets I, I, I don't know exactly how I'd order it I think they're about in the same echelon for me right now um, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit more jaded from having to think about them more often. I, you know, I think that everybody is quicker to see the flaws in their own team that they watched a lot this season. But I can definitely understand the optimism. Yeah, so obviously with the Celtics, there there's a lot of intriguing storylines heading into this off season. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be one of the, the the number one contenders to trade for the likes of Anthony Davis. Of course, they have a stockpile of picks, and they very very likely will uh, will get the Los Angeles Clippers pick. You know, if if the Clippers make the playoffs, and then uh, you know they they've got uh, the Sacramento Kings pick, which uh, as of right now that would be uh, you know a late lottery pick as well. So they've got those couple of picks. Uh, they've got a, a Memphis Grizzlies pick that uh, seems like a very good asset at this point, and they've they've got a a lot of young talent to to offer New Orleans. How confident are you that the Celtics are going to be able to pull this deal off in the offseason? Nobody can beat Jason Tatum as a as a trade asset, right? So, <laughs> so that, that's where that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think that the New Orleans showed that they're very interested in him for not, you know doing a deal with the Lakers, I think that unless you, if you feel like you don't have a chance at Jason Tatum, you probably, you know, you probably, you probably humor the Lakers a little bit more than the Pelicans did, but they didn't seem very interested at all with the Lakers for pushing. Maybe some of that was also, they just didn't want to be a pawn in Clutch's chess game. Um, but yeah, I think Tatum is kind of the break in case of emergency asset. Maybe they can get it done with like Jalen Brown and those picks Maybe, you know, Pelicans are somewhat interested in Gordon Hayward. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Marcus Smart probably would be a nice guy for them to have as they rebuild. But, yeah, I think that if we do put Tatum on the table that nobody can compete with the Celtics offer. I do think that this is also, you know, normally I can understand why I give up, you know, one of the best players under 21 for uh, a rent, what could be a rental. I think this is kind of a special circumstance because, you know, the other big Celtics storyline is what will Kyrie do this offseason? And he said he would resign. Obviously, we don't really take anything he says at face value. Um, <laughs> sorry if that's kind of mean. He just says a lot of things. Um, I, you know, I, I really like him as a player and uh, seems like a cool guy. I just don't want to put too much stock into his words. That being said, I think that being able to trade for Davis would be a pretty compelling case for him to stay because I think there's reasons for him to leave where you look at, you know, if Hayward isn't quite where we expected him to be, um, if, you know, they lose in the second round, let's say, and Kyrie kind of looks around, it's like, you know, if we have this guy, Gordon Hayward, on a max contract, maybe this window is just not going to ever open when, and I need to go somewhere else to contend for a championship again. 
So I think AD kind of quells that concern. So in that circumstance, I would be more willing to part with Jason Tatum if it meant also keeping Kyrie. Well, yeah, speaking of uh, some of the things that have come out of Kyrie Irving's mouth, you know, obviously he, he had that comment uh, talking about that the, he thought that the earth was flat, uh, which... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> that was back in the uh, Cleveland days, so uh, you guys got the brunt of that, not that by any means to associate you with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But... <laughs> yeah, ten, ten years ago I would have been fine with that, but not anymore, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, the uh, and then you know Kyrie also had the comment where he he came out and and he didn't have to do this, but he came out and during some uh, I don't know exactly what the event was, but it was in the Boston Garden and he uh, he he said to the Boston fans like if you will have me, I'll resign and and make my commitment to come back. And then you know just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he he seemed to go back on that statement, but it, it's one of those things where it's like no one asked you to make the statement in the first place. Yeah, I think it also came from, and, and obviously, like, we've kind of covered how the world the world is flat is kind of like a joke he had, and that, you know, it's like, for whatever Kyrie reason, he said it. Um, so, important note, important to know that he's not a, actually, like, an actual flat earther, but you, you know this. Um, uh, but, in terms of uh, saying at the beginning of the season, I think maybe it came from a place of naivety where he thought that if he made that commitment, then he still wouldn't be bombarded with questions. I think that he still has been, mostly because a lot of the Kyrie is leaving speculation has come from external sources. It seems like you can really speak any Knicks rumors into existence. You have a lot of guys, you know, people are saying Zion Williams is going to go to the Knicks or something, when really there's only a 14% chance that that'll actually happen. So there just seems to be a way of like people speaking the idea of players onto the Knicks into existence. So I've never really taken that threat seriously. Maybe I should. Um, I don't see him going to team back up with LeBron. I don't know what the two max slots thing was when he was like holding up a two to Kevin Durant. He could have been saying, you've won two rings. Now it's time to join me in, in Boston. Um, but <laughs> that's probably not what it was. I don't know what it was. Um, but, you know, there's just been a lot of media swirling around him. I think he's been right to be kind of annoyed at it. That being said, he's going about it as about as poorly as one could imagine. And he's, you know, said such that he doesn't have that much understanding of the media intact for all this, and it really shows. Yeah, so, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of the chances of him actually leaving the team, and do you think the the playoff run that the Celtics will have this season will, will uh, have any bearing on that decision? Yeah, I think that the, if I think it really has to come down to um, you know feeling like we can't contend as long as Gordon Hayward's on a max contract, and you know that can be aided if we don't get far in the playoffs and he doesn't see this as a title contending team, um, and that's why I think trading for Anthony Davis would make a huge difference in that regard if that did happen. Now, in that Davis trade, you mentioned that uh, that nobody can beat an asset in terms of uh, the Celtics' Jason Tatum. But uh, my question is, do you throw that asset on the on the table if you are Danny Ainge? I'm going to put you in his shoes. Uh, when, you know, in, in my mind, I think an offer of Jalen Brown, and, and you know, I'm, I'm partial to the idea that I, I like Jalen Brown more than any of the Lakers' assets, personally. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a Jalen Brown, and you mentioned either a Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward, whoever the Pelicans would like most out of those guys, uh, plus, you know, 
any number of their draft picks, I think, would still be the best offer the Pelicans have. Yep. And, uh, well, see, there's two things that give me a little bit of pause. One of them's kind of, like, irrational, and one of them is, you know, just recent developments. So the first one is, like, do you have any ill will towards Celtics if Danny Ainge, like, you know, strongly hinted that if you, if, if you wait, um, you, you might have Jason Tatum. Um, and then not offering him, would you feel like you would just want to spite them as the Pelicans and just look elsewhere? I mean, if if you're Danny Ainge, you have to say anything to make it so that the Pelicans don't trade him. I mean, if you have to say, I'll sell my house, he should do it. Yeah, no, and, I, and I get that, but do you think that the Pelicans then harbor any resentment if Danny Ainge then does not offer Tatum and that could maybe sour negotiations. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly there there would be resentment. I would totally get that, but to the point where they would just no longer think logically and and not take the best offer available. Yeah. You know, that's hard for me to believe. Yeah, probably. And I guess the there would have to be a you know comparable offer for them to you know be able to ignore the Celtics. And that comparable offer, I think, actually lies in Los Angeles. Not on the Lakers, but on the Clippers. Oh, okay. I'm interested to hear this. Yeah, so you look at the return that the Clippers got for Tobias Harris, right? A a um, 2021 Heat pick. You have the 2026ers pick. And then you have, like, you can, they can offer their 2021 pick because the Celtics will probably have their pick. But let's say that even if they don't make the playoffs, then they have their own pick to offer and the Celtics don't have that 29 pick from the Clippers. So you combine all that, maybe add Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, Montrez Harrell, they'll probably want him because Julius Randle will probably decline his player option and flee for greener pastures unless they really, you know, offer him a lot. You have Landry Shamit, you have... Um, I guess that's kind of it in terms of young players. On the, of Zubac, if they really want him, um, they apparently didn't earlier. But between Shea Gilgis-Alexander and those picks, I think that Gilgis-Alexander is about on the level of Jalen Brown as a prospect. And then if you you know present a similar slew of picks, I think that it becomes interesting if the Celtics are unwilling to offer Tatum. Well, and I think that's interesting as well when you compare that Clippers package to the Lakers because, you know, uh, it, it can't go without saying that the Lakers right now uh, own a, a lottery pick. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, that, that pick that in the event that the Clippers do somehow miss the playoffs, you know, obviously we don't know who's going to make it in the, in the seven and eight spots in the West as of now. But, uh, you know, th- there's a decent chance that the Lakers pick might actually be better than the Clippers pick. And-, and then you factor in the Lakers, despite the fact that they don't have any premier assets, you know, they, they do have quantity in terms of their assets, you know, the ability to, to offer the-, the likes of Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. They've got, they've got a lot of decent pieces. I would question whether the Clippers offer is better than that Lakers deal, even though, yes, maybe maybe that Miami 2021 would be the best asset out of everything. Yeah, and I think that, um, so I'm a little bit more of a Lonzo optimist. I think that Lonzo and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and 
Jalen Brown are all around the same echelon as prospects. So I think that Lonzo would still be around the best asset the Lakers could offer, maybe that late lottery pick. In this draft, I don't really see that as a better asset than Lonzo. So I think that it goes to show that the Celtics probably best or second best out, probably second best asset, and the Clippers' second best asset is on par with the Lakers' best asset. Yeah, so that's where I, I, I again am, uh, you know, more optimistic about the Celtics than you are. I like Jalen Brown better than than either of those guys. I just think his ability to, you know, again, despite the fact that he's shooting just thirty two point seven percent from downtown this season, the previous couple of years his three point ball has 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 fallen at a decent rate. His ability to be an off ball guy, he's shown some post up skills. He can, uh, you know catch and, and attack off uh, off closeouts, and, uh, you know, I still love his potential as a defensive player, uh, albeit, you know, Lonzo Ball, I think, is, is a better defensive player right now than Brown, but uh, but I still love the ceiling of Jalen Brown, I think, more than more than the average person. Yeah, that's fair, um, and I probably do, too. I'd probably rank those guys uh, Brown 1 and then SGA, and then a pretty, um, even though I am, you know, kind of optimistic about Lonzo, a little bit of a gap, and then Lonzo. Um, I just think that, like, you know, general consensus-wise, who knows what the Pelicans think, I think they're all, you know, talked about in similar light at the moment. So you, you've already made one prediction. You've uh, you've called the, the Brooklyn Nets over the Indiana Pacers, if that ends yep. up being the, uh, the first-round matchup. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot once again. This time next year, do the Celtics have both Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis? Celtics? Let me tell you about the Celtics, Garrett. <laughs> Celtics, you know, were able to rebound from their second-round loss in the 2019 <laughs> playoffs and retain Kyrie Irving and trade for Anthony Davis. It cost Jason Tatum, but they decided if it was the price to keep Kyrie and get Davis together, it was worth it. Okay, so you heard it here. The Celtics going to have a very disappointing playoffs, but a wonderful and exciting future. Uh, but, uh, that uh, that's all I've got for this episode, Scott. Uh, this has been a, this has been a blast talking uh, talking one of the more confusing teams in the NBA this season. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for your time and for coming on. Of course, and I, I've already forgot about the loss. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at onu.edu. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff.
Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.